You probably remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, as it was told by Jesus. It, it, it goes something like this. I'm not going to read it all, but let me put it in sort of a summary. A man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was robbed, stripped, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road. Three people come upon him. First, a, a priest who probably passes the street and passes by. Likely, he pretends he doesn't see. After all, this man would render the priest unclean. Then came a Levite, the keeper of the holy things of God. He ignores the man. Also, crossing the street, he didn't want to get involved. Again, it would make him ceremonially unclean and ruin his entire day. Finally, a Samaritan, one who would be considered an enemy of the Jews. He comes upon the scene and with no regard for his own ceremonial status, he stops, fixes him up, and makes sure the man is left with good care. Only the Samaritan was willing to have his day interrupted. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes this in his famous work, Life Together. He says this, We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by, preoccupied with our more important tasks. It's a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will uh, allow nothing to disturb them. They think they're doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. Now, consider that, and, and maybe take it with a grain of salt, so to speak, but let me turn the tables on this for a minute. When we get frustrated with God for interruptions, we ought to consider what sin actually is. Now, I need to be careful here because I do not believe that God's plan can be thwarted even by Adam and Eve's sin. In, in fact, the doctrine of the, of the covenant of redemption says that, that what we are seeing unfolding throughout history is God's sovereign plan to bring his people to himself in salvation. And so the covenant of redemption can be defined as the agreement made between the members of the Trinity in order to bring us to salvation. Under this covenant, the Father plans redemption and sends the Son in order to save His people. The Son agrees to be sent and to do the work necessary to save the elect, and the Holy Spirit agrees to apply the work of Christ to us by sealing us unto salvation. Each member of the Trinity has a different task or work, so to speak. And so in this sense, sin, the fall of man is not an interruption. But as we consider Leviticus chapter 16 this morning, I want you to see the big picture. Way back in chapter 9, Leviticus chapter 9, Moses instructed the people of Israel to prepare themselves for worship by bringing the, the required sacrificial offerings. And more than once, he gives this reason. He says, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That the glory of the Lord may appear to you. The chapter closes, chapter 9 closes with just that. That's exactly what happens. In fact, it says this, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. It's a scene right out of the book of Revelation. And at this point, right exactly then, at the end of Leviticus chapter 9, 
God's special chosen people, we could say we're in, were in sweet communion with the Lord. They experienced genuine fellowship with Him for this brief moment. But it was brief. It was brief because immediately after that, sin interrupted. In fact, the very next verse, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. See, Leviticus chapter 9 closes with the high priest of Israel, really the the high point of uh, of their direct vision of God's glory. And chapter 10 immediately reminds us, immediately reminds us through the sudden and very sobering death of the sons of Aaron that this new access to the Holy of Holies, this makes plain that there is therefore still condemnation for those who are under the old covenant, for those who do not perfectly keep the law. It's not just about strange fire. It's also about the the food that they ate, chapter 11, Normal parts of life, like childbirth, chapter 12. The people of Israel, under the old covenant, still face condemnation and separation from God because sin infects everything. It gets under your skin. It gets in your clothes. It infects your own home. That's chapters 13 and 14 that we looked at last week. And even... It even gets into the most personal and intimate areas of a person's life. Chapter 15. The problem, the problem is this. Sinful people need a full and comprehensive atonement. They need a full and comprehensive atonement. I'm going to explain what that means. But even in this, even in this story arc, that we see here in the book of Leviticus. It's really just a microcosm, just a a, a zoomed-in look at the the larger larger problem that's, that's really presented in the entire Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So right in the beginning... The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, of the earth. And so I said this when we looked at chapter 9. The whole earth was His tabernacle, but Eden, the holy mountain of the Lord, that was the holy of holies. It was the most holy place. It was the place where God communed with Adam. And Adam was to, he was to work the garden and keep it. He was to guard it and protect it from anything unclean. He was to be perfectly obedient, but he wasn't. He sinned and was banished, and and the Lord appointed cherubim, in fact, with flaming swords, to do the work instead, to guard the holy place. Perfect fellowship, sin, destruction. Perfect fellowship, sin, destruction. That cycle happens over and over and over again. Noah steps out of the ark. He's the head of the only family left on earth. He builds an altar to worship the Lord. The Lord enters into covenant with Noah, promising him. The Lord says to Noah, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And what happened next? Sin. And another curse. This time God directed the curse at at Ham and his son Canaan and his descendants. Perfect fellowship, sin, destruction, leading to condemnation and death. It happens over and over and over. From the time of Adam, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
So this is the problem mankind, humanity, finds itself in. However, also in the book of Romans, Paul presents God not simply as a, as a God of wrath and vengeance, but also as a God of hope who fills his people with all joy and peace in believing that we may be those who abound in hope. That's in chapter 15 of Romans. Abound in hope of what? Abound in hope of what? Hope of a real and full atonement. Hope that our sin would not only be covered, but that it would also be removed. Turn to Leviticus 16 if you're not there already. I'm going to read this. Just one chapter this week. By the time we're done with Leviticus, though, we'll have read the whole book, so... Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. There, these are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall take... Uh, shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle on it with his finger in the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it and with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. When he has made an end of the toning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat free in the wilderness." Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in the holy place and put his garments 
uh, put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was uh, brought to make in to make atonement for the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burnt up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, let's stop and pray again. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Help us to understand these things. I pray that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, over and over and over again in the Bible, we see that sin leads to death, for the wages of sin is death. But if experience has taught us anything, it's that more often than not, there's a period of time between the two. In fact, usually a a, a lifetime. And in that lifetime, we have to deal with all of, the, all of the infection and disease and decay of this world. And we know, and we saw this in great detail last week, we know that sin does infect everything. And we also know that it's more than just a, a physical infection. It infects our hearts and minds. It infects our families, our households, everything even, as we have said, the most private and intimate areas of our lives. But the Lord has graciously provided Israel with some legal requirements, some law that served to purify them for a time, essentially, until they sinned again. And these purification rituals were the work of the priests. So chapter 15 ended with this warning for the high priest of Israel. From verse 31 of of chapter 15, he says, the Lord, the law says, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Now, at this point in our study of Leviticus, it should be clear to you that mankind's sin not only, as we have said, defiled themselves, but for the Israelites, it defiles even the Lord's tabernacle, his holy sanctuary, that place where he promised to dwell with his people. This was a serious, this was a serious problem for the people of Israel because defiling the tabernacle That was akin to to defiling the king's house. This was an act of treason. Actually, it was an act of cosmic treason. And as Nadab and Abihu found out, it would be met with swift justice. And so it's it's no coincidence that this, this chapter opens with a reference back to them, to Nadab and Abihu, these sons of Aaron. It's also no coincidence that the the so-called holiness code chapters 11 through 15, the be holy as I am holy. It's no coincidence that that those laws precede this. They come before this. Because our fate, in fact, the fate of, of all sinners, 
is the same as the fate of Nadab and Abihu. We would be consumed by the wrath of God's fury. So the big picture is this. Chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu sinned by coming to the Lord in an unworthy manner. And they paid with their lives. Wages of sin is death. But lest Israel think that that was just them, that it was just for those guys, that it's just for the priests, the Lord continues with several chapters of just how holy they must be. Which is to say, essentially, as Jesus said, well, Matthew 19, it says this, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. Now stop there. I know that some of you are finishing that verse in your mind, but stop there. We need to hold on because we're talking about the law. We've yet to talk about the gospel. Let's do that, or at least let's talk about the gospel to come. With man, this is impossible. See, Yahweh, as Israel's redeeming king, desires to live in covenant fellowship with his people. And so he provides. He provides this day of atonement, this one day a year where he will remove this threat of judgment because he, had, he provided a full and comprehensive atonement for all of their sins and impurities and assures the Israelites that they could continue in covenant fellowship with him. So this is the first and foremost point that we need to see here. Yahweh, the Lord, provides access to himself through atonement. Yahweh provides access through atonement. Look again at the first five verses. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the linen coat and have all the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. Now, I've already pointed out a couple of times this connection with the two sons of Aaron. But, but notice here that the issue wasn't just simply that they came with strange or unauthorized fire that we saw in chapter 10. It's also a timing issue. They jumped the gun. The, the Lord says in verse 2 that Aaron may not come into the holy place at any time. But then in verse 3, he begins the explanation of exactly when Aaron shall come. The, the point is this. Under the law, to enter the holy of holies, to enter into the presence of God in an improper way or at an improper time brought the death penalty. But God, and here's the rest of that verse, but with God, all things are possible. With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, central to this discussion of Leviticus 16 here that we see is the nature of the place. Inside the Holy of Holies, if you could picture this, the, the, the tabernacle as a, as a tent, inside uh, was another tent which had a couple of divisions, and inside that was the Holy of Holies. Inside the, this most holy place, the Holy of Holies, was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in our study here, I haven't spent much time talking about the Ark, but essentially it was a large container. I'm just going to assume that you've seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like that. So you have a, an image of what it looks like. It's, it's pretty good. 
Something like that. Well, this, this covering, the, the lid of the ark, it was called the mercy seat. It was a solid gold slab about four feet by two feet, and it had carved angels on either end. Exodus chapter 25, verse 22 says this about this cover of the ark. The Lord says, There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, those two angels that are on the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you about all that I uh, will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So this is the place, the literal spot where God would meet with, there he's talking to Moses or the high priest once the tabernacle is built. So Aaron here. This is the place where they will commune specifically. Now, in Hebrew, this word that's translated here as mercy seat, it's actually just one word. And it's the word that, that Jewish people even today get the name for the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Yom is day, Kippur or Kippur, atonement. Mercy seat. It really could be translated, though, instead of a mercy seat, it could be translated something like place of propitiation or even place of covering. This is the place in the Holy of Holies where the blood sacrifice of the animals was actually, the term would be, made effectual, where it was accepted by God, where it, 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 was, it was the Lord accepted the offerings, the atonement, the death, the blood that was shed for the sin. So here's the first application for us. It's just simply this. Entering God's presence cannot be taken lightly. Entering God's presence cannot be taken lightly. And I want to add right here that as Christians, we're not saved by the law. We're saved by faith in the one who kept the law perfectly. We're saved in the same way Abraham was saved. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We are saved by faith alone. And so access to God is through faith in Christ alone. Okay? I want to be sure that we say that. But in our study here, we're still looking at the law and as we can clearly see there in verses 3 to 5 that I've read a couple of times, this is all about the priest's preparation to enter into this most holy place. This is the, the gracious legal requirement. He's to bring a bull and a ram for a purification offering and an atonement. First for himself, he must be thoroughly cleansed. But, but, but notice something here, and, and the scriptures make a point of this. Instead of clothing himself with the, the elaborate vestments of the, uh, of the priesthood, the high priest, with the fancy gold embroidered into his robes and all of that, instead of that, he's to wear a simple linen outfit. Why? You'd think, you'd think that of all the times to dress formally, it would be this. This is the holiest of holy days for the people of Israel. And he's to dress simply. I think there are two reasons for this. First is this, when the, when the high priest spoke to the people for God, he would wear the elaborate robes of his office. He, he spoke to them with the authority of God. He was saying, thus saith the Lord. But when he came to God on behalf of the people... He came with no authority, only in humility and righteousness. Second, I also believe that there's another reason for linen here. And I don't think that we find this out until much later. Actually, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 8, gives us a glimpse, a glimpse of heavenly worship. And it says this, Revelation 19, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The the bride is the church. The bride in that, in that picture is the church, and she is clothed with the, the righteous deeds, bright and pure. Linen represents here uh, this purity and righteousness. This is the very basis of the, of the priest's access to the Lord. It's not in his office. It's not in, in, the, in the vestments of the priest. It's in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Well, this chapter continues here. And we also see that there are two parts to the atonement. Covering and removal. This is important. Two parts to atonement. Covering and removal. We're only going to get into covering today. So once the high priest is prepared, that was verses 3 to 5. Verses 6 through, down through 28, um, go through the rituals for the Day of Atonement. And, and really, verses kind of serve as a, as a summary for the rest of that. Let, let me just read verses 6 to 10 again. So the high priest is prepared. Verse 6, Aaron shall offer uh, the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Now, right here, we can see the two parts in this summary. Um, One goat is chosen for a sin offering for the sacrifice, and the other goat is chosen to be sent away into the wilderness. And, and by the way, I don't know what version of the Bible you're using. The ESV that I'm reading from, the English Standard Version, uses the word Azazel. Um, I wish it didn't, but that's what's actually there. It, it, we have no idea what that word means. There may be a footnote that says it might mean this or that. We actually don't know what the word means. Um, But the very first English translation of the Bible, which was done by William Tyndale in the early 1500s, he just used the word scapegoat because that's actually the concept behind this. In fact, that's where the the meaning of the term scapegoat comes from, one one who takes the blame, right? So that's what it's talking about. And again, we'll get into more of that next week, Lord willing. Well, let's talk about this covering first. And I'm using the word covering because it's kind, of a, it's kind of a play on words. This is about the mercy seat, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, but it's really about, about shed blood covering sins. The theological term, if you like this kind of thing, the theological term is propitiation. Shed blood covering sins. Look at verse 6 again. He says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, shall make atonement for himself and his house. Jump down to verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Again, he's repeating himself. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take the censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side and in front of the Uh, mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So first for himself, that's what we're seeing here, first for his own sin, Aaron sacrifices the bull, then he takes this censer, this plate or bowl or container full of of hot coals and, and incense that is burning, and he enters through the curtain, through the veil, into the Holy of Holies. Now, in the book of Revelation again, 
we see that the, that the incense represents the prayers of the saints rising up to God. But the, the smoke of this, the smoke of the, of the burning incense combined with the coals, it also, it also serves to distort his view. Remember, the Lord had said to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, He said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And so he has a distorted view. It's, it's smoky and cloudy in there, which it preserves his life. And he was then to sprinkle some of the blood of the, of the bull on and around the mercy seat seven times. Seven is a is a number of perfection in the Bible. Um, so whenever you see things done in sevens or multiples of seven, like 70 times seven, there's usually a picture of, of perfection and completeness in that. So his sins have been covered, is what this is saying. And now, once his sins have been covered, he turns to the sins of the people in verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus ye shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may enter, uh, no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. This is essentially the same ritual. He does the same thing for the people because their sin was staining all of the holy things of God in his tabernacle. All of this all that we're seeing here is a foreshadowing of the Messiah. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. In this chapter, um, verses 1 to 7 give a detailed description of, really, of everything that we just read. Looking back in history, the preacher of Hebrews gives a quick description that the Hebrew people would have known and understood. This was a part of their life. This was a regular part of their life. But listen um, just to a couple of verses. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I said last week as we came to the end of chapter 15 and we looked at those awkward, heavy, difficult chapters. Um, I said that it was heavy. I also said that I was leaving you under the weight of the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law cannot save you. It was designed by God to be a, to be a weight that pointed out that you can't possibly keep it. That all of your righteousness, all of our so-called law-keeping is as filthy rags. And that term, filthy rags, it, it's soiled undergarments. That's what it means. 
all of our law-keeping, all of our so-called righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. Do you know why I told you the story of the Good Samaritan at the beginning? It wasn't just simply because I needed something that would be an interruption. It's because I told that story. Jesus, Jesus told that parable in response to a question. Luke 10 says it like this. This is the question, the conversation that uh, prompted that parable. Behold a lawyer, an expert in the law, the law of God. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Just exactly who do I need to love? Just exactly what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Because there's a line, and I don't want to cross that line. See, in order to inherit eternal life, in order to be saved from the wrath to come, this, this law keeper, he needed to actually be willing to get unclean. He needed to love his neighbor to the point of even becoming unclean himself. He wasn't. And so he couldn't, he hadn't fully kept the law of God. In fact, that's impossible. It's impossible. But Romans 3 continues, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It isn't about external things we do. It's about our heart. It's about what's inside of us. It's about who we are. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation, as an atonement, as a covering by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. He let you live to this point. He is long-suffering with us. We should be like Nadab and Abihu who immediately were consumed by the wrath of God. But in his divine forbearance, in his patience and love, he passed over former sins. I said earlier that the problem, the problem that we have is that sinful people need a full and comprehensive atonement. That Jesus Christ died as a propitiation, a blood sacrifice that covered our sin. That his sacrificial death was that full and comprehensive atonement that we need. Now, we will get into the taking away part next week. But as we, as we close this morning, let me, give you, let me give you four gospel truths. And this really should stir our hearts to worship and thanksgiving. First is this. Aaron and the high priests, all of the high priests after him, they were sinners. And so they were required to offer sacrifice for their own sins before they could act as the, as the mediator between God and, and the holy God and his people. Before they could offer sacrifice for the people. But Jesus, Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He was the very Son of God. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 to 28 explains it like this. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, Jesus Christ. Holy, innocent, unstained, 
separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the true and better and perfect high priest who always lives to intercede for us. Second, Aaron entered the tabernacle on earth to sprinkle the blood of bulls and goats. He had to enter a tabernacle on earth. Where, where's this tabernacle now? Well, we know that King David, by the time we get to, the, to his stories, King David desired to make uh, the tabernacle into a permanent temple. And he gathered all of the materials, and his son, King Solomon, built that temple. We also know that to this day, even though it's been torn down and rebuilt a few times, to this day, it still lies in ruins in Israel. You can ask Lee and Drew. They can show you pictures. They've been there. <laughs> it lies in ruins. The temple lies in ruins to this day. We also know, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that Christ entered into the heavenly sanctuary of the Lord. The, the tabernacle on earth was just a shadow of that. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. On our behalf. Covering our sin. Third, Aaron had to do this every single year. And, and to this day, to one extent or another, the Jewish people observe Yom Kippur. But Jesus made this his sacrifice once and for all. He declared, it is finished. Again, Hebrews 9, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself. First Peter tells us he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. It is finished. It is finished. Finally, the work of the high priest on the day of atonement was temporary. It was temporary. They had to do it every single year. But Christ's was eternal. It was finished. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these reality, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not cease to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he says, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. 
When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these that are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting, waiting for that time when his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, if you heard nothing else, hear this. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. It is finished. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we can only but praise you. We can feel the weight of the law as we read through these long chapters of difficult, detailed sacrifices and impurities. It's hard to read, it's hard to listen to, it's hard to pay attention to, but it is the weight that is important. The weight of our sin. Father, in Christ, that has been removed. And so we... We come today, we come today to proclaim the death of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that it is finished, to eat the bread and drink of the cup, and so proclaim that Christ has died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, that he has ascended to the Father's right hand where he always lives to make intercession for his people that all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, shall be saved. Father, it is our prayer that if any any in here have not trusted in Christ, that they would call upon his name today. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup and proclaim that he he is risen, that Christ has died for our sins. Father, we... Pray that you would change our hearts and our minds today. Conform them to the image of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.